Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, you've made it. It's here. Hold on, folks. I'm, this is very unprofessional of me, but I've got to... Eat your donetties. I have one little... I have one little donut left. Get out, Jack. I'm eating snacks. I closed up my cookies for this. I know you did. And I, I never know when people are speaking in code anymore, but in this case, you're not. <laughs> uh, hi, everybody. Oh, this is Jack. Welcome to the Script Shop. Oh, man. This is Allison. Yes, thank you so much for being here on our show where we talk to screenwriters about the scripts they've written and why they've written them and how come this person is the only person in the whole history of mankind who could have possibly put the words to the page as they did. And I can continue to talk unless you're done with your Donetti. No, we also like to ask them about their favorite kinds of donuts. Where are you going with this donut? I don't know. I'm really not going with it anywhere. I just want to eat a donut. (laughs) I just want to eat a donut. That's all. Well, uh, if you're following along to the show, you know we have a ton of fun doing this. We get to talk to people from all over the world in all kinds of situations, including each other, regardless of the food that we're shoving in our mouth, because Mm -hmm. I have been that person, unfortunately. Yeah, we've had moments. Many times. I'm, you know, in my defense, though a pregnant lady needs to eat when a pregnant lady needs to eat well and i'm a growing boy so what check me <laughs> are you over the hill yet jack or are you still growing up that hill so we're on a very a variety <laughs> of uh, internet uh, ways to connect with us social media wise uh we're yes. on we're on facebook we are on instagram we are on twitter and you can find us and friend us and follow da, us da, da. on all those platforms and we would love that we'd like to be friends with you yeah we love talking about our writers and their stories and um, Jack's super funny on Twitter, so you should find him at Script Shop Jack. I'm not that and funny. Comment on all the hilarious stuff that he's talking about and doing. Mm, well, that's sweet. I appreciate that. Uh, we're also on Patreon. Uh, if you would be interested in uh, perhaps supporting the show financially, that's incredible, and we would love that. And you can do that by going on to Patreon.com and look up Script Shop that way. Also, if the show, if you're, if you're a writer, you've written something, and you're interested in maybe getting it in front of us, you can do that by submitting ScriptShopShow.com slash submit. You or- can also, send it to us on filmfreeway.com. 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 Pedal to the metal, filmfreeway.com. And I do want to say, too, that if you are a writer, again, a lot of the stuff that we do on this show is really about um, providing a spotlight on you and your work and kind of the thought process behind it. We love giving you pieces of conversation to use in any of your portfolio to share and snip it out on the world. Mm-hmm. And we would love to just have any feedback about how you've done or how this has helped you. So if you've been on the show, you know. Write in, let us know how it's going. If you haven't been on the show and you want to, do it, and then you can write in and let us know how it's going. We would love that very, very much. Yeah, either way, you can write in and let us know how it's going. <laughs> uh, I'm done with my donuts now. Are we are, we, are we, we ready to start the show? So our guest this week is Ricardo Herrera, who wrote a script called Iris. Iris is a 12-page Blurred Lines short regarding artificial and human intelligence. Absolutely, and we were fortunate enough to have Iris at the Sindependent Film yes, Festival. Yes, at the 2019 Second Sindependent Film Festival, where Jack and I basically roamed the streets of OTR. Oh, boy. Two redheads oh boy. Stor- t- telling stories and making friends left and right. We and did make friends left and right. Mr. Ricardo is someone that I got to meet. I walked him across the street. He shared with me that he has a dog named Lucy. To be safe no, because, when you're crossing the street? You know what? There are, there are a lot of things I love 
sharing with people, but right from the get-go, I don't know if they want to hold my hand, so okay. I didn't hold hands with Even though that's maybe the safest way to, you need to hold a grown-up friend's hand across the street? I know, but who's the grown-up in this situation? Who knows? Well, only one way to find out. Let's get uh, Ricardo on the line. Hi, Ricardo Herrera. Hi, are you there? I am here. Hi, everybody. Did you feel safe crossing the street without a handhold? Because that would make me feel uncomfortable. Well, we ha- uh, she had Olive with her, so she was making sure Olive was safe. See? Ah. Okay, well, that's priorities. I get that. Do you know mm-hmm. what's terrible, though, is in the remembery of this? I don't even remember Olive being there. Oh, God. Uh, we had to walk very slow. <laughs> <laughs> Thus making it less safe. <laughs> right. Depends on how fast the cars were going. I suppose. We didn't have to be the first person across the street. <laughs> we just had to be one that just wasn't last. Don't be last. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, just be faster than the car that's right behind you. Uh, Ricardo, where are you calling us from today? Uh, I'm in my apartment here in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. if you do hear a, a dog bark in the background, that is Lucy. Aww. So my apologies. Oh, hi, Lucy. Do you walk home and you go, Lucy, oh, I'm God. home. Oh, my God. Oftentimes I come home and there will be like tissue paper or like some kind <laughs> of paper towel ripped up in half. And I takes everything in me not to go. Lucy. <laughs> uh, you got some splaining to do. Right. And plus the she whole Ricardo name skills. thing, too. That's a, that's a double whammy, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's part of the process. He's <laughs> <laughs> very committed to the bit. Yeah. So uh, you're out in L.A. Are you out in L.A. Uh, specifically for uh, filmmaking uh, purposes? Yeah. I've been out here for almost 10 years now. Um, I... I write, I direct, I produce, I AD, uh, anything to kind of pay bills uh, so I can write and direct in my free time. Yeah, so you're making it work. You're, you're, you're grinding it out and, and working in the business. Every day is a grind, my friend. But yeah, it's, um, I wouldn't have it any other way. And where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in southwest Florida, uh, beach town, Naples, Florida. Um, and I went to film school in Orlando. But uh, yeah, I was just in Florida, and I don't know how I lived there for 18 years because uh, it is so hot and so muggy. And this was like late October, so I don't know how I did it. You didn't have a choice, I'm sure. Yeah, you just didn't know. I know. You just kind of get on with it. (laughs) Did you go straight from Florida to Los Angeles? Yeah, I went from – I had a short stint here, and then I lived in Portland for a bit, and then I moved back home to save money so I can – make my official move out here, which was uh, almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. What was it like getting your feet wet when you first got to the, to the West Coast and were trying to maybe make connections and network and meet people <laughs> and stuff? Feet wet, beach to beach living here. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going coast. for. <laughs> um, it was interesting because I, you know, I started from the very bottom PA and uh, I did some, I worked on some bigger shows, some network shows, and that was fun. Um but then, I don't know, I guess I, after a while, I was not happy with what, where I was or what I was doing. So I just made a, a very uh, impulsive move to move to Portland just because I wasn't really happy with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've, I, I started like everyone else. I kind of just started from the bottom and, and was a PA, but it was good. It was like, you know, everything is experience and learning. So You know, you said uh, you, you're not happy with what you were doing. Do you mean like artistically or uh, technically I, I maybe i mean i was working on like some reality television show or something and just some soul sucking show yeah. mm-hmm. or something and i was like i don't know i don't know this isn't what i came out here to do yeah. um so i kind of maybe needed some time to bounce around for a minute but now but you know it's also who you associate with and 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 what you want to you know what you want to project 
is what the world will give you back, I think. So that's kind of what mm-hmm. I, that's how I live now. When did you really start taking filmmaking and writing into your own hands then? Um, that's interesting. Well, I, um, as soon as I moved out here officially, I met up with the, you know, my, my, what my core group of friends is now. And we made short films and sketches whenever we could. And then we got very little money together in 2013 for a script that I wrote. Uh, and it was a feature film. Um, so we made a feature film for very little money and it was distributed in 2017. Cool. So that was quite the process. And I learned a lot through that whole thing. And, uh, still one of like my greatest experiences being in that set. Um, but yeah, um, I guess I've always tried to create my own, uh, opportunities because I know they're not just, you shouldn't just wait around for them. You got to kind of take matter in your own hands. Um, you know, with things kind of just always being a part of you, you have your core group of friends. How did your feature film become the one that you guys were going to produce? Was it, the best one were you the first one to have a feature film and be like this is what we're doing i specifically wrote it for us to make it very very cheap um it's uh it was like a mockumentary style and and there was like 12 i think i forgot how many of us there were but cast and crew together was about 12 13 people and we just rented a cabin in uh big bear when we were there for about 11 12 days total and it was the time of our lives and we made this silly comedy um yeah um and we eventually it just the the distribution process is always hard and um you're you're just part of the cog that these distribution companies just spit out these movies that they don't really care about it's just you're just another number and then for us it's like we've put all of our time and energy and money into this thing um so it was it was such a learning experience, but I definitely wrote it specifically for us to make it for the for very very little. Like I didn't wouldn't I wouldn't want to overextend what we're capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you want to be able to actually get something out there, and, and even if it even if you're dealing with like an outfit that doesn't really care about you as an artist or your work as an art form, maybe you're I mean you're still getting distribution and you're still like resume building. That's yeah. ultimately it's good, right? Yeah, yeah, it was such a, I mean, for a low-budget comedy with not a lot, uh, with really what you would call, like, names, um, it's very difficult for to get distribution, so I'm very proud of that, and um, you can see on Amazon Prime, it's called The Bigfoot Project, it's very silly, um, but yeah, I was happy with what we were able to do, and again, I take everything I do as a learning experience, so um, it was great. Well, it sounds like you've learned a lot in terms of, like, what you need in your life and what you're... Uh, you know, your projects need to have, what do you think have been some of the biggest specific changes the last year or two, maybe one or two big things that you've learned that you really impart into the work that you're doing now? Um, that's a good question because I think I kind of had some kind of epiphany maybe a year and a half, two years ago where I just decided to stop making excuses and stop, um, you know, waiting for the world to work the way I want it to work. And I've made it to point to just travel more because that's what I want to do. And, um, I wrote Iris because I wanted to direct more. I didn't feel like I was getting the opportunities to direct as much as I wanted to do. So 
Again, I made a movie that I knew that we can shoot in a weekend for very little money. And uh, I pulled every single one of my resources and favors that I've had over the last 10 years, all the relationships that I've been able to build in my uh, core group of friends who are also industry professionals who are very good at what they do. We got together for a weekend and we made this thing that we're all really proud of. So, um, yeah, I've just decided to just go out and just do it. And there really aren't excuses because other people are doing it. So you just have to be one of those people. Um, so yeah, I've just kind of grabbed, grabbed life by the horns, I guess. And, and how much, like, so the idea of practicality, like you talked about the first one that you wrote specifically to be like a low-budget, easy-to-produce kind of thing, and then you talked about with this one too, picking, you know, creating a story that you could shoot over the course of a weekend. It sounds like the idea of being practical with the work that you're trying to execute and get made uh, is plays a pretty prominent role, and I'm curious how that maybe relates to your work as being a PA and seeing the way the sausage gets made before you started doing your own. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I produce a lot as well and I AD a lot as well. So I see a lot of schedules that are way too ambitious for the money that these people have or, um, you know, something along those lines. And, and don't get me wrong. I like to, I have a, I like to write big $200 million uh, scripts, but, um, when I try to set myself up for success and, and, uh, the best way to do that is write, you know, write what you know you can do and do well. Um, so I think that's a big factor in, in at least the last couple of projects we've been we've been doing. So Iris, then, of course, is this beautiful AI story that we have. Jack, do you want to lay out the story for our listeners? So Iris tells the story of a woman named Emma who is about to uh, go for a job interview, that she's uh, changing careers, she's nervous about it, and she lives in a time that's the, I would let, we can call it the not-too-distant future, uh, but it is slightly in the future in that now these, you know, we've got all these... Uh, smart speakers and stuff in our homes now you got google home and uh you got the the amazon alexa and this is sort of the next maybe version of that where it's like an ai piece of equipment that's in the home that you can talk to and it'll turn the lights off and it'll lock the doors and it's it's a it's a it's a robot living in your house that you interact with and it's just sort of the normal course of everyday life and emma has her robot uh ai called iris that she talks to and in the up until the point that we're about to read the selection from she's been nervous about this uh this job and iris has been encouraging her and helping her along the way, letting her know when's the last time that she wore a certain kind of dress and sort of rely on an in-home computer system to do for you, uh, Iris is doing. And we're going to read a selection. It's actually going to pick up right when Emma is getting home from that job interview that she's been nervous about for the last few weeks. Does that sort of set us up there, uh, Ricardo? Could not have said it better myself. Well, I doubt I, that. <laughs> I do want to clarify, though, that the AI systems are not physical it's right. not like a robot that's wrong. Right. It's not like a Roomba. It's not walking it's not around a, or anything right. like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just like a hub that she has yes. on her mantle. Yeah, good. Okay. That's right. Okay, well, let's go ahead and pick up for the reading. Listeners, if you're following along, we're going to start at the top of page five. Mr. Ricardo is going to be reading for our action headings. Um, I'm going to be playing Emma coming home from my job interview, and Jack is going to be playing my best friend, my AI system, Iris. I will be Iris. That's what I'm going to do. (laughs) You're welcome. So, Ricardo, whenever you're ready, you can take it it away. Okay, here we go. Interior, Emma's living room. Later. The living room is eerily silent. The front door opens and Emma walks in. She sets her bag down and heads for the kitchen. Well, come on. Did you get the job or not? Emma walks back into the room and sighs. 
Yeah, I got the job. Yes. The lights in the apartment flicker on and off as the TV powers on. Congratulation runs across the screen as the happy song plays in the background. I'm so proud of you, Emma. Congratulations. Emma nods. She's definitely troubled by something and Iris knows it. Emma's lack of excitement kills the celebratory mood. The lights return to normal. The music stops and the TV is powered off. There's an awkward silence before. Emma, what's wrong? Nothing. Are you sure? Yeah, it's... Nothing. Just taking it all in, I guess. This is what you wanted, right? Yeah. Emma considers her options, then grabs her bags and keys. I have to run out. I, um, I, I'll, I'll be back later. Emma moves towards the door, but this time we hear the door lock. Emma tries to open it, but can't. Iris, unlock the door. I know something is wrong, and you're not leaving until you tell me what it is. Let me help you. Iris, please. Just tell me. Emma, you can tell me. Emma drops her bag and faces the iris hub on the mantle. Okay, yes, I got the job. I'm the new PR director at Macro Interface. I'll be doing what I love, making twice what I was making before. The thing is, they require all their employees to use their AI system, Phoenix. They think irises are inferior and obsolete. And for security reasons, we're not allowed to run both simultaneously. Me being the inferior competition. Emma doesn't respond. Another tension-filled silence. Well, what's your plan? What do you mean? I have to do it. They're coming to install next week. Next week? Emma doesn't want to do this, but she knows she has to. Well, what would you like me to do, Iris? Say thanks for the life-changing job opportunity, but no thanks. I already have an AI system. I mean, come on! Emma's defense system here is to get angry. It's protecting her from breaking down in tears. No, I just... After six years, it would have been nice for a little heads up. Well, sorry. You knew this was a requirement going in, didn't you? I didn't. Why didn't you talk to me before... Talk to you before? This is my career. This is my life. And you didn't consider my feelings. Feelings? What feelings? You don't have any feelings, Iris. You're not fucking real. A deafening silence pierces the air with venom. Emma immediately regrets saying that, but it's too late. She exhales and gathers her bag again. Unlock the door, please. The door unlocks and Emma exits. We push in on Iris and hold there for a second before the device's lights turn off. End scene. So that's like the breakup. That's that's when this the sort of story has come to a head, and the the script sort of moves on with these montages of Emma's new equipment being installed in, and the iris system being moved out. Emma has uh, sort of started the new job. This new Phoenix system, from what we can tell, is not as convenient or user friendly as Emma's relationship with Iris was, or just a relation. Like, they don't know each other. Yeah. You know, Iris and Emma have known each other for six years. Iris knows how to make Emma's coffee the way she wants it. And Phoenix doesn't know that stuff yet. Right. And and playing music that she wants to hear and just all the little hang-ups that you get when you, like, switch phones or have a new thing in your life. It, you got to sort of reteach it everything about you leading up to that point. And that leads us into the big confrontation where 
between Iris not necessarily being totally out of the picture and also a 3D printer that's a big part of life in this world that the story is set in, Iris is able to make a robot version of herself, a, a, a head-to-toe... A 3D printed version of herself. Yeah, a, a, a personification of Iris as a thing, and it, it's to confront Emma because Emma said, you're not real, and then Emma makes herself as real as she can. If that is that, 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 is that that's, the, that's the intention behind what Iris is doing, right, Ricardo? Yeah, she wants to make a point that um, the six years meant more to her than what Emma thinks they meant. And I think I think I just kind of took it as she would rather she did, she didn't want to be the proverbial uh, genie in a bottle, I guess, yeah. or to be put, kept in a box. Ricardo, what has really inspired this film? Yeah, um, I grew up watching a lot of um twilight zone and hitchcock and um i've always liked kind of darker stories it's not it's not the happiest of endings and uh um even today with like black mirror and stuff i and i wanted to do something that i could keep uh again because i knew i was going to shoot this film i wanted to do something that i could uh, a very intricate personal story that i could tell in one location. So it all takes place in Emma's apartment or Emma's home. Um, but I wanted to do something dark. I wanted to do something personal. Um, at first it started as like a war of the worlds kind of thing where like these AIs, uh, kind of sync up together around the world and they're trying to take over everybody. But then I brought it down to like, let's make it a personal relationship between these two and, uh, keep it in the apartment. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to do something very um, visually cool with all the sci-fi stuff, but also something that at the end of the day, it's a relationship. It's a it's a friendship. It's a it's a lost relationship, I guess. There's an interesting relationship that I think that people have with technology in that, like, it, it you know, the, the the thought that gets put into the design of a given thing, whether you're talking about a smart speaker, whether you're talking about a phone, like, there's a lot of thought that gets put into the design of it and whether or not something, for lack of a better word, maybe is, like, sort of sleek and sexy. And the, it, it's it's designed in a way, on, I think, on some level to elicit an emotional response out of the person who's maybe either shopping for it or using it on a regular basis. And I feel like your script sort of takes that all to the next level in that now you're talking about establishing real relationships on some level. Right. I definitely wanted to do something in the, like, again, in the near future where Iris is just another thing that we buy yeah. on. And, um, we just, I think we oftentimes, um, I have friends who have their entire homes hooked up with some of these things that, you know, they just say commands and these things do it. And they're always listening and they're kind of, always watching and then they have cameras that can watch their pets and they can check in on their phones and all these other things. Um, this is just the next level of that. And, um, it's almost like Emma doesn't think about this person that she literally interacts with every single day of her life for the last six years. Um, it is like a friend, but also, you know, she bought it at a store, which is, um, kind of interesting but yeah um yeah you're right it's it's um we don't really i don't think we put much thought into 
what we see or if we you know if it comes out and it's new and it's cool we just buy it and we don't really think much else about what it could develop or progress into yeah. right or what you know what the privacy thing like i'm kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to technology i don't know if you can sense that but um <laughs> it's a little bit yeah it's a little bit scary for me and i want it just to this is that what if kind of script i yeah. guess i'm curious how old of a guy you are ricardo um just turned 34 Okay, so you're a couple of years younger than I am. I, I, it's just, I, you know, knowing me, I come from, it's, it's weird to have seen the shift in the way that we sort of perceive technology in terms of like a throwaway sort of thing where, like I remember growing up, like if you got like a piece of, any sort of piece of electronics or technology, you had to be really kind of careful with it because it was really expensive probably. And the idea of like getting it fixed was like something you had to kind of keep in mind if it could be done at all. And the idea of that we sort of have now where things are more advanced and these, you know, cell phones, these smartphones, phones that are just these crazy advanced computers that we're walking around with in our pockets and if something happens to crack or break you're just sort of like okay and you chuck it and you just get a new one which is so weird from the way i remember growing up and taking things and like trying to keep them nice and hold on to them as long as you could and the way that that sort of is approached in this script too with emma thinking okay well i got to move on to this next thing you're just another thing that i have right exactly yeah i remember my first laptop going to college uh, a family friend bought it for me i think it was like two thousand dollars yeah and compared to today's specs it was you know it might as well have been uh, a rock yeah uh, it was mm-hmm. a speaking spell yeah exactly but yeah and uh so that was part of it as well it's like um she's just uh, very replaceable yeah. she's just the next the newer cooler thing is out well, I, I do want to stand up for Emma just a bit because there there's some really there's some beauty to the writing in here where the lines between which intelligence is actually more human are really ah. blurred. We have I specifically wrote down two of them. There's a line when Emma is not saying anything and uh, it's a it, it, it's, it's one of those written words for the reader. Mm. And the line is, she's definitely troubled by something and Iris knows it, which is indicative of the fact that Iris has an emotional intelligence that is beyond commands. So that already starts to show some evolution in terms of what the technology is. At the same time, there's another written piece of the script that says, Emma's defense system here is to get angry. Right. It's protecting her from breaking down in tears, which is a very robotic way of saying Emma is angry instead of crying. And I really love that there seems to be a lot of loss and grief for Emma in this process where she doesn't really want to switch or I don't I don't take it this way. And that's why I'm just I say I'm standing up for her a little bit. Mm-hmm. She doesn't necessarily want to switch the system, but she is kind of recognizing it as a necessary step to get this job at the same time the writing indicates that human intelligence and artificial intelligence are getting closer and closer and closer and that there are some moments that are indistinguishable between between the two sometimes ricardo what do you think about that idea um yeah you it was very important for me i didn't want emma to be uh the villain um so she is troubled and she doesn't want to replace Iris, but it's almost like, you know, she knows this is something that she has to do. And maybe she was even, you know, this was going to, there was going to be a time for this, but I didn't want to make her out to the, to be the villain. So this went through a, a few rewrites and, um, I chose the words very carefully because, uh, and especially when we were on set and I was, uh, dur- 
directing the amazing actress i didn't want to i didn't want her to come off as mean or aloof or um you know vindictive in any way so she does feel remorse here but she doesn't want to show it but iris and that's kind of like i guess a play on words or because she kind of sees that emma is distraught and um you know troubled by something um so yeah i think it's a tender it's a it's a it's a breakup yeah it's a breakup in a relationship and and emma knew that it was going to happen there's there's also a really interesting sort of dichotomy here between Emma and Iris where you're talking about Iris and her sort of like burgeoning levels of humanity, for lack of a better word, recognizing emotion, ha- developing some level of connection with the human being that's ordering her around and that she does things for that coupled with Emma. And you're saying that you don't want her to necessarily be the villain, but she's able to maybe recognize the cold, hard facts of the situation and be willing to execute this thing that needs to be done in getting rid of Iris and replacing her with with a thing as a means to an end to get the next thing done. And I think there's a there's a dichotomy there between Iris's quote-unquote humanity and Emma's cold, hard, you know, machine-like sort of logic about getting the next thing done. I mean, yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's, that's amazing uh, wording to me. I, uh, I don't know if I necessarily thought that much into that, that terminology, but I, um, I, the way I looked at it is that, um, it's Iris. Iris. That's all she knows. That's the entire that that house is all she knows. That's right. the that's the extent of her world. Um, and Emma has a whole another world outside the apartment. Um, so, yeah, I guess she was kind of. It was very uh, a tactical thing to cut Iris off, and yeah. Iris was just kind of blindsided yeah. by it. So yeah. um, well, it is a, yeah, it's a kind of a switching of the roles there, which I really liked. That really rolls us into what ultimately happens too, which is that Mm. Iris manifests herself into this 3d configuration of a human a personification. Yeah. She she makes a a version of herself that is maybe more real than just being a hub that sits on the mantle. She connects with Emma. They physically touch. And then Iris throws the words right back to her. I don't have feelings breaks the Iris hub and basically, you know, complete suicide yeah. right in front of her. Yeah, it was, um, it was a message, I guess it was, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the box. You can't keep me in the box. I did have feelings. Um, and it was a tender moment. It was a tender moment when they embraced and there was a tender moment when they're just, Emma's looking at this thing that she's been speaking to for six years, you know, personified and, Iris is feeling a touch for the first time. So there's like, there's a lot of tenderness there. And then it just kind of ends abruptly because Iris refuses to be, uh, I guess, refuses to be discarded by the only thing she's ever known. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like a, you can't fire me. I quit sort of thing. Yeah. Right. In the most (laughs) dramatic, uh, yeah, yeah, the next level of that, I guess. And it also just really, it's, it's really like she's taking in what, Emma has said to her. Emma says, "You don't. You're not real. You don't have feelings." So then Iris shows up real, thinks she has feelings, and kind of is embracing what she's just been taught, which is that she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't have feelings, then it, to her, her life is not worth living. And that's that's the end of that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. And so, and actually, Ricardo, for, in terms of intention, 
it, it was it was specifically Iris's intent to make this physical version of herself specifically to end her quote unquote life. Right? There was nothing. Was there anything that Emma could have said in that brief tender exchange that would have, in some way, prevented the ending from happening the way it does? No, not in my mind. I think Emma made her decision, and that really hurt Iris enough. Yeah, Iris didn't want to. I mean, she was betrayed, and she made it a point to show Emma that I do have feelings, and I'm, I'm sorry you discarded me, but I, because uh, previously in the script we see when when Iris is replaced, she's she's physically in a box, yeah, and and I mean I think that's a metaphorical thing too, like she didn't she just didn't want to be held captive, uh, lost in this inner space of nothingness forever, so she would rather just end it, um, and she wanted Emma to know. It's beautiful. So, hey, as far as production goes, let's talk about uh, the differences between you writing these, uh, what, 12 pages that you did and then actually taking the time to uh, film it and put it up on screen. What was sort of the evolution between the written word and uh, the production? Um, the um, Again, we made it. We did it in a weekend, and I knew who I wanted to cast immediately, though the actress who plays... Um, Iris does a lot of voiceover work and she was, um, incredible. I didn't really have to do anything in post to alter her voice at all. She was just a natural and brought a real life to Iris. Like Iris had this voice that could sound like a Siri or an Alexa, but also have the human touch, which is, um, which was very important to me. And, um, then it was just resourcing everything else and making sure that we had uh, or sourcing everything else and make sure we had all the equipment and insurance and everything else. And uh, I try to be as frugal as possible, but also try not to jeopardize what would be on screen. Were there any big changes between what you wrote and then what wound up in the final film? Um, no, I was very fortunate in that regard. There might have been a line or two that got nixed on the day or got added, but... Um, Everything was very precise, even the shots. I like I didn't there was nothing that was not used in the edit because we were very efficient and knew what we wanted to do. So, um, no, I was very fortunate in that regard. In, in in terms of like taking this on, making it, producing it as a director, what what do you think were some of the biggest challenges taking this on as a director and not as, you know, the AD, the um, producer specifically, any of those other hats that you've worn before, what was new and different about directing this? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I guess, um, I've used, like I said, I've used the last 10 years to kind of build these relationships with all these amazing people. And I put a very, very good team together that I knew I wouldn't have to worry about. So I didn't really have any challenges on set. I was very fortunate with the location. I was very fortunate with the gear um, I was very fortunate with the crew. Um, the biggest challenges I guess were in, were in post. We had some special effects stuff that we needed to do. Again, I didn't have, it was all coming out of my own pocket. So I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money to spend. Um, I didn't, I don't have a lot of resources in post-production. Um, so, you know, getting the film colored and mixed and the special effects, I guess, were my busy. And and when you're not paying people a lot of money, you're kind of on their schedule. Yeah. And um, I'm very impatient. So uh, I guess that was the biggest challenge. But um, I wish I could give you cooler stories, but the, it was such a good production. It was so well run. And, and I, 
again, I try to set myself up for success and I surround myself with people who are very good at what they do. Mm -hmm. They just happen to be my very, very good friends. Um, so yeah, uh, the production itself was, was great. It was wonderful. And then you've been taking this out on the film festival circuit. Like we said, we were able to show it at uh, Sindependent this past year, which was great. What's the reaction been in some of the screenings that you've had? Um, by the way, Sindependent was amazing. <laughs> yes. Thank Aww. you for throwing that in there. We love that. We appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the reaction has always been um, anytime we first see um, Iris's personified silhouette behind Emma without Emma knowing there's always gasps in the audience. And that's my favorite part. Cool. Um, in the beginning of the film, there's, it's very light and it's very, we see the relationship in the morning and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of, um, you know, fun and, and, and humorous at times. And to see the audience start there laughing and enjoying this relationship and then it turns into gasps and this yeah. dark kind of thing. Uh, that's always my, my, my heart is always going a thousand beats per second, but, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy hearing the gasps and, and knowing that they, I, they went on this ride with me. This film, when I talk to people about post-independent life, you know, let's say community members, people who have jumped in to really involve themselves in all the stories that come to Cincinnati, I'll ask them, what were some of your favorites? And people will always be like, that one with the AI machine. And I'll be like, oh yeah, <laughs> Iris. Yeah. I know. And they're like... I actually just yesterday, this is a true story. Just yesterday, I was talking to somebody who was one of our VIP pass holders and he was like, do you ever just like randomly think about these things? Because I was just thinking about Iris earlier today and I just love these complex stories that people keep flipping over and over and over again in their mind. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. That's that's such... That's like the best compliment a filmmaker can ever get, I think. Well, and also kudos to you for for writing this in a dozen pages, getting an audience to yeah. like fully have some sort of emotional investment in this story that you got to kind of keep moving along and because you, I mean, you don't have that much time to work with. Yeah, um, that was very. I wanted the that was very important for me while writing. I wanted it to be very succinct, um, and I wanted it to have uh, a very clear beginning, middle, and end. And I feel. Uh, not a knock on them at all, at all, but I watch, I've been, I've seen a lot of shorts. I've read a lot of short scripts and there's a lot of, oftentimes, um, there's never, a there's not really a beginning, middle or an end, or it's missing one of the three. And it was very important for me to make sure that I had a clear, um, beginning, middle end. And I wanted to be succinct because, you know, uh, I think keep them wanting more, I think is the old adage that, that I think reigns true. That's great. Yeah. Well, if somebody's interested in your work, interested in your career, in your vision, in all the amazing things that you pull together on productions for a very smooth run production day or weekend, yeah. what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? Um, um, I'm always, I'm getting emails a lot and it's, I'm always looking to collab. Um, they can email me at fallenfilms at gmail.com. Um, Friends and I are, are we're always writing scripts, trying to get those off the ground. We're we're trying to pitch a couple of horror scripts right now that we're trying to do. Features is the next thing. We want to keep doing features. But in the meantime, uh I just uh wrote and directed another short that I will be submitting to Syndependent. So we'll see. Yay. Uh, now we're talking. Um Yeah. So again, I'm just trying to stay active and stay busy. But if anyone uh wants to get in touch, they can definitely email me at fallenfilms at gmail.com. 
Okay, Ricardo, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been awesome to talk to you about Iris. Yeah, it's been great. I'm, and please, uh, continued success. Good luck if you're still taking it on the film festival circuit. That's uh, that's very cool that you get to have this thing that you can see resonate with people on a regular basis. That's got to be extremely cool. It's so cool. And thank you so much again for having me. This was this was a, a cool chat. I'm glad we got to talk. Yeah, so are we. There we go. All right. Ricardo Herrera, bring it. Ricardo Herrera. Bring it. And his dog, Lucy. Yes. Lucy. Boy, that's just that's such a weird one-two whammy of Isn't having the beautiful? dog named Lucy and then yeah. having the Ricardo you name. You know he had to choose that. I mean, yeah, He's it was funny. Al- it was almost like it was decided for him, right? Well, it depends. Did the dog walk up to him and say, I am Lucy, your dog now? It yeah. told me your name is Ricardo. My name, name is, is Lucy. Lucy. <laughs> I am your dog now. <laughs> I knew that's where we were going. You know, I didn't. I didn't get to talk to him about uh, maybe some other influences and stuff. But geez, and, and this is—it's it's a whole different element. But the idea of you know exploring the relationships that humanity has with machines and AI yeah. and all this—the movie Ex Machina. If you haven't seen that movie yet, I think I have actually. Holy cow! Ex Machina. What is that one again? It's about this guy that gets flown out to an island. Because this brilliant, rich weirdo who's his boss that is working in the technology field says, hey, I, I need you to help evaluate this thing for me and as whether or not I've really achieved artificial intelligence. It stars Oscar Isaac. Uh, it's uh, incredible. It's a, it'll completely screw with your head. It's on Netflix. It's brilliant. Oh, man. And just the concept of like having a an AI that's uh, you know in a in a box that may sit on your counter or on your mantle versus a thing that walks around on right. two feet and looks like a person. Right. The difference that a person may feel when they're seeing when one versus the other. In front of them. I cannot recommend Ex Machina enough. It is a it'll it'll mess with you for a while. I actually haven't seen it, and I don't want to because it's going to freak me out. Um, AI stuff that's like the not too distant future mm-hmm. reminds me of like any kind of scary movie that has to do with the Catholic Church that it's like okay. a little too close to home and it just freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> okay. Poltergeisty things, mm-hmm. spirits and priests and like it's a little too close to home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then AI stuff because it's just such a part of our world now and you can see it's projected future like black mirror and what they do where it's just a little bit yeah it scares me so much because it could be true well folks if you're a little bit scared or if you're a lot scared and you've taken those feelings and written them into a script form you should send it into us and you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit also we are now taking your writing on filmfreeway.com again just look up script shop show um you can also check us out on facebook instagram and twitter you can find us friend us and follow us uh, on twitter i am at your bestie westy and i'm at script shop jack we love 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 hearing the stories that you have to tell we really want to share them with the world at large with anybody that's part of the podcasting community with anybody who's just really into great storytelling too so if you have a script please send it in and until next week friends that's a wrap script shop was created by allison west Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.